Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Two groups on today's program. In the second half of the show, I'll be speaking with Sarah Shaw about her globe-trotting organization, Goals for Bulls. We start off with Trey Grant. He's the executive director of the Specs Movement. How are you doing today? Well, Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, I got referred this group from another group. I get all of my interview subjects from referral and I don't know a lot about what you guys are doing, but I've heard really good things. So we're going to get down to it today. I want to know more about what the Specs Movement is. So let's just start there. What is your group? What are you guys doing? So um, if you were go, if you were to go to the website, you would see kind of our our basic mission is to create healthy conversations about race for the purpose of unity. And so that's kind of what we desire to do. We create space and um, events where people can talk about um, race and, and engage and learn and hear different perspectives. And that's kind of where we get the, the specs movement from, this word perspectives. And, and uh, we feel like when you hear the perspective of another person that's, you know, different from you, that looks different than you, votes differently than you, mm. um, believes differently than you, it impacts your perspective on life, uh, specifically when it comes to race. If I were to... Uh, let's say I had a piece of paper here. I'm looking at you. You're, you're across from me. And I drew a large number six on this piece of paper. And I told you this is a six. You're looking at it and you're like, no, it's a nine. And we go back and forth. We could go back and forth all day. Okay, it's a six. Yeah. It's a nine. It's a six. It's a nine. But it's not until either I get up or you get up and you see my perspective that you will be able to understand why I see this as a six or why you see it as a nine. And once we have that new perspective, it changes our view and changes our understanding on a matter. And so the, the purpose of specs is to do just that, to help change your perspective on a matter, specifically on race. Talk to me about the origins of this group. What was it that made you want to push in this direction? Yeah. Um, so a couple of years ago, uh, there, there was an incident that happened in Dallas where um, some police officers were shot downtown. Yeah, yeah. Significant event in, in our in our country and definitely in our city. And social media, um, you know, people jump on social media with their views and their thoughts. And, and uh, I was kind of watching my thread and seeing uh, I have friends on all sides of the spectrum when it came to race and mm -hmm. the views on race. And and so me and, and a couple people from our church got together and, and said, you know, we need to engage in a conversation um, about this issue, create a safe space where people can talk about it. And so we we hosted a town square or, or a town hall meeting, where uh, the mayor came, chief of police came, and and uh, people from our city came, and we engaged in a conversation about race. Um, you know, it was a very uncomfortable conversation, but people walked away, uh, um, 
realizing that that there's more that needs to be done. Uh, there's more that they need to learn. And we need more spaces where we can have these kind of conversations. And so when the action items was, we need to do this more. We need to create um, a, a, a space regularly where people can come and engage in these conversations. Because naturally, birds of a feather flock together, sure. right? We, yeah. we live around people who uh, look like us and dress like us and vote like us. We, um, we become friends with people who look like us, dress like us, vote like us. And uh, we share the same views as people who look like us, vote like us, and dress like us. Or, and so um, we want to. We try to. We're trying to create spaces where we can engage with people who are different. Were people receptive to it, especially in the beginning? Because as you were saying, you know, it, it was an. Unco- it ended up being an uncomfortable conversation, but an important one to have. Mm-hmm. And that's. I mean, I think of probably a perfect way to describe how people in this country deal with the subject of race. So. Is it hard to get people even to to sit down at that table to even start that conversation? Oh, it's it's very hard uh, because it's easier to just not, you know. It's, right, just uh, the idea of people really pushing it under the rug or not looking at it and not confronting it in really any form or fashion. For sure, for sure, it's easy. It's easy to say, you know what? Um, I'm just gonna stay um, stay in my little bubble yeah. and uh, ignore the issues and and um, um, as long as all my friends believe the way I believe and think the way I think that I'm fine. Um, but it, it does a disservice to this country and a disservice to us, to, to everyone, because um, there are different views in this world. There are different people who, who are very different and have different backgrounds and have different experiences. And, um, you know, my experiences are different than your experiences. Your experiences are, are different from mine. But there are things we can learn from each other. From I can learn from your experience and you can learn from mine that will give me a new perspective and help me see people who look like you differently. And, and I think that's vitally important um, for this country and this world. How do you get somebody to actually start doing that perspective? Because I think, especially when it comes to matters of race, specifically, the people always, deep down inside, they think that they're right. Yeah, They're always, their opinion, no matter what it is, whether it's good or bad, they think, well, I'm right. And and they're not really able to see that other. They're not able to see the six because they're a nine. Mm-hmm. So how how do you start that? How do you get people to understand that maybe they're not so correct or their viewpoint isn't necessarily the only one that is valid? Yeah, it's it's this it, this this topic of bias. Um, there are um, all kinds of tests out there that um, help you see your whether implicit or explicit bias hmm. um, and. You know, the, the test ultimately proves that everyone is biased. You know, we, we all have um, a, a tendency to, to be biased. Consciously our, or not. Consciously or not. You know, from our, ex- our life experiences, uh, the things that we've encountered, it impacts us and it influences how we engage with people. You know, there was a study done. Uh, Harvard did a study, a neuro- neuro- neurological study. And uh, from this study, they came to the conclusion that the first thing a person sees when they look at someone they've never seen before is not the content of their character, is not um, the things that are similar. You know, we both have fingers. We both have the the first thing they see um, consciously or subconsciously is skin color. And uh, the first thing they notice is skin color. And, um, you know, that impacts the rest of our engagement with that person. If we had a bad experience with, um, with um, someone, 
then it impacts how we see people who look like that person. Mm. I had an event that happened uh, in my childhood that impacted um, the rest of my life, and it's still something I'm, I'm even working through and trying to figure out. Um, and would be happy to share that story. I was going to say, if you're comfortable sharing with it, I think it would be a good way for us to understand more about you and and kind of the reasoning why you're you're moved yeah. to work with a group like the Specs Movement. Sure. So, um, when I was um, 13 years old, um, my we lived in Wisconsin. We grew up in Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, lived in a small town in Wisconsin, and uh, my father was a pastor. Is a pastor. Um, and uh, my mother directed the choir. It was a small church. My mother directed the choir. I played the drums. We were all involved in, in you know, in our church. Um, my father had just been um, n- nominated by the mayor to be the fire and police commissioner for the city. Uh, and and so um, this is all information that will help you understand. And okay. so uh, my, my cousin was over visiting with us. She lives in Milwaukee, which is about 30 minutes from the town we live in. And so her mother was meeting us halfway, which was at a fast food restaurant right off the highway. And so we go to this fast food restaurant right off the highway. We pull up and we're sitting in the parking lot waiting for my my aunt to come to pick up her daughter, my cousin. And um, maybe about 15, 20 minutes pass. We're just sitting there joking and and talking. And and uh, and finally, my my aunt comes. my, My cousin goes with her. We say our goodbyes and we drive back home. Um, as we're pulling out of the parking lot, a police car comes and pulls us over, and the police officer comes up to the car. So who was in the car with you? My mother, my father, and me. My mother's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. My father's in the back seat. Okay. A uh, police officer comes up um, and and says, license and registration. Um, and my mother's like, I'd be happy to give that to you. She's getting it out. Could you let us know why you pulled us over? He's like, I'm asking the questions here, ma'am. Just do as I say. So, um you know, we're, we're nervous, you know, we, 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 who knows what could happen in this situation. Uh, my mother gets her license and registration, gives it to him. He walks away for a moment, comes back, and, um, you know, my mother again is like, could you please let us know why you're pulling this over? Um, he kind of becomes belligerent and, and starts saying, listen, ma'am, um, I'm a police officer, you know, you need to do what I say, and if you continue to, to backtalk me, I'll have you out of this car as fast as you can whistle Dixie, which I didn't even know what that meant. But um, so so I'm in the front seat, you know, young kid. I say, police officer, um, could you please be respectful to my mother? Um, maybe not the best thing to say, but I'm, I'm, you know, he's he's disrespecting my mother, and you know, it's and so he he um, he kind of pulls his glasses down and, and says something to me. Um, I almost peed my pants in, in the moment, but um, my uh, he he begins to get louder, and my father. Um, attempts to open the door to to pull out his um, his um, his his, shi- his shield. He was given a a police shield. What do you call it? A a badge. Yeah. He's given a, a fire and police commissioner badge. Um, he's going to pull it out, kind of explain to him what's going on. Um, and uh, as he does so, the police officer grabs the car, pulls his gun out, points it towards my father. And at this point, we're nervous, we're afraid, we're thinking of the past, we're thinking of what what has happened in the country, Rodney King situation that happened. Um, you know, we're screaming, sir, no, don't do it, don't do it. My, my mother's screaming, uh, my father's, you know, trying to calm him down. Uh, finally, the police officer calms down and says, "Why? what are you guys doing here? Why are you here? My father begins to articulate why we're there. We're, we're dropping off my niece, um, you know, and... 
Um, you know, we were in the parking lot waiting for, for her to come. And the police officer said, I got a phone call about five minutes ago from the manager of the, the fast food restaurant. And she informed me that there were three, there were four at the time, um, belligerent black people in a car that looked to be stolen. And they were going to attempt to rob the, the, the restaurant. You're 13? I'm 13 years old. My father's a pastor. My mother's uh, the choir director, you know. Uh, and and, and he, she sees us and assumes that we're belligerent black people um, in a stolen car um, who, who want to rob this fast food restaurant. And um, we explain to the police officer what's really going on, and, and he says, okay, you can go. No apology or anything. And um, in tears, literally all of us in tears, silent, we drive back to our home and, and really never talk about it again until, you know, years later, we never really talk about the situation. So your parents um, didn't say anything to you after this whole interaction? Like, you guys tried to, to yeah, we, kind of we, forget about we, it? we tried to kind of forget about it. You know, I, I don't remember um, a conversation afterwards, really. Uh, I'm sure my father reached out to the mayor and... and and something happened to the police officer. Was know. it same city where you guys? Same city, same city, same city. So he was technically going to be, to a certain extent, this guy's boss. Yes, yes. Um, and so, so, and, and so, there, there's two sides. There's there's the the um, the manager. Um, what is it in me or in my mother or father that made her associate, um, you know, African Americans naturally as being belligerent? Um, as um, having stolen cars and um, attempting to rob that store, that restaurant. Um, there's some biases there that, that obviously are, are explicit or implicit. Um, there's the police officer who um, didn't think enough to, to just ask us from the very beginning, why were, you, um, why were you at this restaurant, you know, hearing our side of the story? Um, and, and that situation impacted the way I saw police officers in general, the way I saw specifically white police officers and um, the way I saw white people in general. Um, and uh, it took years for me. You know, I went to a private school, predominantly white school, but there was always something in me that made me feel like um, the people around me, and no matter how intelligent I may be, no matter how um, accomplished I may be, they see me as a black belligerent person. Um, and um, there's, there was there was anger. I had, I had there was anger inside of me as a result of that, and and I had to. Um, the, the only way to heal is to deal with it. Is to get to know poli- other police officers and and say not all police officers are like this police officer. To get to know other white people and come to the conclusion not all white people are like the the white manager at that fast food restaurant. And to forgive her, um, to forgive the police officer, and say I'm not going to allow what has happened in the past to affect the way I engage with people in the future. Um, and, and so, you know, that was a big step for me. That was, was healing that happened for me. How long did it take you to come to that realization where you were in a place where you could forgive and understand? Because that's what you're saying. That's what it took you to feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. So, uh, again, for, for, for years, I... Um, I just kind of, you know, distant, distance myself. I um, compartmentalized um, and, and just kind of, you know, forgot about that situation. And so it wasn't, it was probably in the last 10, 15 years that 
my, I, I um, remembered that situation and kind of dealt with it and talked about it and thought about it and addressed it and, um, you know, was able to, um, obviously I couldn't go to the police officer and say, hey, uh, I forgive you or go to the lady. I, I don't, didn't know the lady, didn't know yeah. the guy. Um, but it was, it was a decision to say, you know what, uh, there's something that I've been, a baggage that I've been carrying with me that has affected my, my interaction with people. Um, with white people and police officers, and I need to move on from that. I need to forgive, forget, uh, not forget, but forgive and not allow what has happened in the past to affect the way I treat people in the future. So what have you gained from that? Was there a a feeling of like a weight being lifted off of you, or do you feel that you just actually gained perspective on yourself and kind of just how the world works? Uh, yeah, I think because it seems like it's a lot of uh, a lot of this is, is part of just growing up to to a certain extent and being sure. a mature adult. Well, you, you would think so, but um, uh, really, uh, studies show that um, the older we get, the more intelligent we get, the better we're able to hide it, to hide our our, our, our prejudice. <laughs> so it's not that it goes away; it's not that you're it goes more away. Uh, skilled at concealing it. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's the reality of it. So, I I, I got to say though, I, I'm impressed at how brave of a 13 year old for trying to defend your mom. I do like that part of the story. Um, okay, so you've you've made this this personal journey, and you've decided to to help others come to maybe some of the understandings that you have. Is that kind of the reason why you started Specs and are a part of this movement? Do you think that's really why you you were a part of this? Yes. Yes, I, I want to see people, uh, I want to see our country and our world um, push. Uh, we live in a, a racialized society. Um, race um, is, is, a part of, um, is a part of our lives. You know? and, and the reason I can say that is because if this study is true, that the first thing we see when we see someone who looks different than us is skin color, um, then that means that that race, we live in a racialized society where race impacts a lot of what we do, um, whether consciously or inco- unconsciously. Um, and uh, my desire is, is to see us um, as a country and as a world heal from, um, from the, uh, the past and, and heal from our individual pasts and, and move to a place where we can... Um, uh, we can experience reconciliation. Now, with reconciliation comes hard conversations, you know. Um, you know, and so we can't get around the fact that there have to be difficult conversations that take place. Um, there, 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 there has to be um, people who ask for forgiveness. There, there have to be people who forgive and and talk about things that have happened in the past and um, and move on from those things. Uh, and that's the only way um, reconciliation or um, or healing can take place. And so that's that's the the heart of that's the heart of um, the Specs movement to 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 create environments where that can happen, um, to create events where the, where that can happen. And um, the the one of the goals is to um, you know one of the questions that I like to ask is who is at your dinner table. Um, you know, do you engage, only engage with people who look like you, vote like you, dress like you, and believe like you? Um, at your last birthday party, 
Um, was it a room full of, of um, people who look just like you and believe like you and act like you? Um, or is it a, is do you, are you in a diverse community? Do you engage with people who are different than you? It's got to be intentional because we, we don't naturally do that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, hopefully in, in at these events, friendships are, are fostered and relationships are built. And, and people say, you know what? We need to be friends. We need to have dinner together. We need to invite our families together so that we can have some hard conversations. Um, there are, I remember in school, um, you know, predominantly white school. I was one of, one of few brown-skinned people in school. Uh, people would come up to me and ask me the, the weirdest questions, you know, um, you know, about my hair. Like, if, if, you, if your hair gets wet, does, does the little bubble just stay there? Or does it, you know, just weird, random questions um, that... Uh, and um, I tried my best to answer them, but those kind of questions, you can't just ask to a random person. You have to have a relationship with them. You have to be able to sit eye to eye and knee to knee and, and be in a relationship with that person. And uh, that's where change happens. That's where perspective is given. That's where uh, questions are answered. That's where biases are broken. And um, that's where we grow and, and reconciliation begins to take place. Trey Grant is the executive director of the Specs Movement, their website, thespecsmovement.com. You've got an event coming up, and I I do want to talk about that. Before we get into that, let's talk about some of the things that happen when you you have these meetings. So if somebody is going to go to a Specs Movement meeting or an event, what could people expect? How does this kind of – how does this work? Sure. So um, we we have a couple different kinds of events that we host. We have um, kind of town hall meetings where – um, we come together, speak on a specific topic. Maybe we have a keynote speaker come or a panel of people who come and talk. Uh, and so you're, you're hearing from different perspectives. Um, you're listening, you know, um, slow to listen or quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, but, but then also um, in, in some of those gatherings, we break out into small groups mm. where you get a chance to engage with people and talk about the, what you've just heard. Or talk about what you've experienced, and um, and get to know people, and and then there's a time to ask questions to the panel, where you can um, you know engage with them a little bit more, and um, and so uh, we have events like that. Okay. Um, we also have events that just celebrate culture, uh, and so uh, the event we have coming up uh, very soon is is kind of a way to celebrate culture and. Um, uh, do you want me to kind of talk yeah, a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about it. So tomorrow on the 15th from 7 to 8 p.m., you guys are going to be over at Keller Town Hall, and you're going to be doing a big Martin Luther King Jr. speech event. We were talking about it off mic. You guys are doing some really cool stuff. I think it's going to be really neat. So, uh, yeah, tell me about it. What's going yeah, on? So when, when we, we moved to Keller, um, we, we wanted to figure out a way that we could serve the city of Keller and surrounding cities. And uh, one thing we realized was that there has never, in the history of, of Keller, Texas, there's never been a MLK celebration in the city. And so um, I sat down with the mayor and the chief of police at the time and said, you know what, um, I'd like to host a, um, or we would like to host a MLK celebration. At that time, it was through our church. Um, and and so, um, so we planned this event. And uh, we, we hosted it at Town Hall called Speech on the Steps, where we played um, the, the I Have a Dream speech by Dr. King on a big 
jumbo screen. I saw photos of it on the website, I think. Yeah, amazing event. Amazing event. We, um, you know, hundreds of people came. Uh, great, great event. We, we had a time where we gathered together all the city officials and local leaders and, and pastors and, and um, had a, a candlelight um, uh, vigil and, and just a time of prayer for the city and for, for the country and for the world. Um, this year, we're, we're doing it a little differently. In, instead of watching a video, we're doing a live reenactment of one of Dr. King's speech or, or letters, specifically the letter from Birmingham jail. Mm. Now, this is a, a very significant letter because um, Dr. King, as, as a pastor, um, he was reaching out to other pastors in the area saying, hey, the time is now for us to, um, to, to fight for, for unity and for oneness. Um, and um, the pastors were, a lot of the local leaders and pastors were like, well, let's wait. This is not the time. Let's slow down. You're moving too fast. And Dr. King, from a jail cell, with no books, uh, no internet, no Google, um, no paper, in fact, writes this letter from memory. The letter is 15, 16 pages long. Um, and he writes it, get this, um, on napkins and on the, in the crevices of newspapers. I didn't realize it was that long. It, it's long. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very, very long letter. Um, and... Um, and, and so we will be reenacting. We have an actor coming in, a friend of mine, uh, and we will be reenacting. He will be reenacting uh, the letter from Birmingham jail. We'll have a, a, a prison, a jail cell um, right on town hall steps that we'll recreate. And uh, he'll be inside there and he'll be sharing this, these, word, these powerful words of Dr. King. Um, and uh, again, we'll, we'll call up the, the local leaders, mayor, chief of police, city manager, and surrounding city managers, ma- mayors, and and police chiefs, and and pastors, and leaders from the city, and we'll, um, I'll have a short message just to kind of piggyback off of the, um, the, the the speech or the letter, but um, it'll be a time of of prayer for us to pray for our country, pray for our city, and pray for our world for unity, and for reconciliation to take place. Are your are your notes and words uh, ready? Are you prepared for this? Uh, I'm 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 probably going to just speak from speak from the heart. You okay. know, um, uh, it, it's going to be a, a special time. You know, and and uh, I've I've spent a lot of time just reading the letter mm. and just kind of thinking about um, the how though the world is is very different than it was then. Um, it's very similar as well as it was then. And um, I even feel, you know, as a pastor, I even feel um, opposition saying, you know, maybe you should slow down. Maybe this isn't the time. Maybe we should wait. Um, and, and so I feel the, the earnest, the, the, the passion that Dr. King felt. Um, you know, obviously I'm not in a prison cell, but I feel the, the need to move forward and for us to, to um to, to, to fight for, not, not fight in a physical way, but to, um, to seek reconciliation, to seek healing, to seek justice um, um, for, for this country and for this world and for our cities. What does it make you, how do you feel when you see all these people get together, when you put together an event like this? I mean, this one's coming up, but you had a successful one already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're, you're constantly getting people together, making them ask tough questions, have hard conversations, and, and go, and, and they leave with, with exactly what you're trying to achieve, which is at least a different perspective. You're not necessarily going to change people, but you are going to introduce them to the idea of 
perspective and change to a certain extent. So organize these, organizing these events and getting all this stuff done, how, how do you feel about it? How does it make you feel when you see something like this go successfully? Yeah. So um, here's what excites me. So let's say we're looking at a spectrum from 1 to 10, 1 to 10, 1 being um, someone who's on this side of the spectrum, someone 10 being on a completely different side of the spectrum, 5 being a place of, of unity, a place of, you know, a healthy place. My desire uh, is not to turn everyone into a five because that's not realistic, but to see a 10 become a nine or a one become a two or 1.23, you know, <laughs> to move in this direction yeah. of, of unity, of reconciliation, of healing, of perspective. And so when I see people, um, I see spectrums. And um, my, my desire and our desire as a specs movement is to see people grow, to see people um, change, even if it's, it's um, a degree of a change, you know, and to, um, to walk away seeing life a little bit differently, seeing race, the issue of race a little bit differently, and um, to move from an individualistic view of race to a, a joint, fuller, under, broader understanding of race. Um, and, and so it excites me. Every, every event we, we have, whether it's eight people or, or 800 people, um, it excites me because it's an opportunity to see reconciliation take place and healing take place. Trey Grant is the executive director of the Specs Movement. You can find them online at thespecsmovement.com. Once again, big event happening tomorrow, the 15th, over at Keller Town Hall. The big MLK speech reenactment, I guess is what I would call it, mm-hmm. happening from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Trey, it was great meeting you. I really appreciate you stopping by. Wish you the best of luck with the event tomorrow, Thank and you. I hope you come back. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.